Hi everyone. Welcome to our seventh episode of Mindfulness Over Matter. I hope you enjoyed last week's material as we dove a little deeper into the scientific explanation of how mindfulness actually works from a neuroscientific perspective. This week, we are going to continue to focus on the neuroscientific explanation of mindfulness because there is really so much more to learn. Last week, we discussed one significant benefit of a consistent mindfulness practice, emotion regulation. In fact, growing research suggests that mindfulness accomplishes psychological change by strengthening the ability to regulate one's emotions. How this works, as well as the dominant behavioral benefits of an intentional mindfulness practice, will be the focus of today's podcast. Let's first get a better understanding of the contemporary theories on emotion regulation. According to Wheeler, Arnkoff, and Glass, through a functionalist and evolutionary point of view, emotions play an important role in our ability to adapt our behaviors to different situations. They influence our decision-making, and also play a role in facilitating social communication. In the past, emotion was considered to be an automatic and fixed response. However, we now know that emotions are capable of being changed. This means that we all have the capacity to regulate our emotions, that emotions are temporary, and we do not have to feel controlled by them. The following are examples of ways that many of us choose, either consciously or unconsciously, to regulate our emotions. The first is situation selection. This involves either deciding to avoid or approach people, places, or objects with the specific intention of attempting to manage the emotional influence on the person. An example of this might be only approaching your close friends at a party because you know they make you feel comfortable and safe. Another example might be avoiding big crowds because being in those situations have elicited unmanageable fear or anxiety in the past. What these examples demonstrate is the desire to adapt a particular environment or situation in a way that we feel like we can control the emotional impact. Another emotion regulation strategy is attentional deployment. We engage in attentional deployment when we choose to channel our focus from our present emotional experience to other areas. Examples of this include strategies such as distractions, concentration, and rumination. For example, when someone is experiencing the pain of a breakup, instead of processing that pain, they choose to go out and socialize with friends as a form of distraction. Some of us might engage in cognitive change. This is a psychological process that involves attempting to alter our perception or way of thinking in order to change what we are feeling. The process of cognitive change can include denial and cognitive reframing. Examples of denial might include attempting to deny yourself permission to feel emotions. An example of this is when young boys are taught to toughen up and discourage from crying and carry this thought with them into their adult lives. An example of cognitive reframing includes convincing oneself to believe that their partner is physically abusive out of love or it was an accident so that they do not have to face the harsh reality and distressing emotions that admitting to being physically abused may elicit. Finally, the last example of emotion regulation involves response modulation strategies, which ultimately try to influence our physical, psychological, and behavioral responses to our emotional response. Response modification strategies can be healthy or unhealthy. 
They can involve activities such as substance use, medication, relaxation techniques, acceptance of emotions, or curiously exploring emotions from alternate perspectives. If you haven't already made the connection, mindfulness interventions fall under the category of response modulation strategies. The key here is that instead of trying to deny or selectively control our emotional response, we focus our energy on how we decide to respond to the emotion as it shows up for us. As we touched on in episode 6, we know from Wheeler, Arnkoff, and Glass that emotions are adaptive responses to our environment, but they become problematic when they occur in the wrong context, with an inappropriate intensity, or with improper duration. When we adapt emotion regulation responses, we are ultimately trying to increase, decrease, or maintain our emotions. Interestingly, there is neurological evidence that suggests we do have the ability to successfully decrease or increase our emotional experience. Proving that we do have the capacity to control the intensity of our emotions, they aren't quite as fixed as we once thought. The essential difference between healthy and unhealthy ways of regulating emotions is based on whether the strategies we choose to use are context-appropriate, do not cause harm to other aspects of our health or put others at risk of harm. It is also important that these strategies coincide with our long-term psychological goals. Unhealthy ways of coping might provide immediate relief, such as denial or suppressing emotions, but in the long-term will likely result in more complicated mental health issues and decreased quality of life. So you might be wondering how practicing intentional mindfulness is connected to emotion regulation at the neural level. According to the meta-analysis conducted by Arnkoff, Wheeler, and Glass, the research to date implicates that when we participate in emotion regulation strategies, the amygdala is deactivated, and the anterior cingulate cortex, insular cortex, and the ventromedial prefrontal cortex are activated. It's the same neurological networks that are also important for mindful processing. Truth be told, however, there is still a lot of research to be done to explain how the practice of intentional mindfulness works at the neurological level. In practice, however, we do know that mindfulness training, such as meditation, encourages the individual to engage in the moment-by-moment experience of sensations, thoughts, and emotions through the perspective or belief that these are simply temporary events or experiences of the mind, and we do not have to react or over-identify with them. Through this, we create a space and externalize the experience from the self and can then respond from a more thoughtful place. When applied to emotion regulation, this mindfulness practice offers a healthy strategy. According to the current research, some of us are naturally mindful. This is commonly referred to as dispositional mindfulness. However, many of us need practice in this area. And as we become experienced in mindfulness through engaging in many hours of intentional mindfulness practices, this dispositional mindfulness will naturally develop. Through practicing intentional mindfulness practices, we become more mindful people even when we are not actively engaging in mindfulness-based activities. To give you some insight on how long it takes to acquire the neurological benefits of mindfulness, here is a summary of some contemporary research findings. According to Arnkoff, Wheeler, and Glass, 
Mindfulness practitioners with an average of 14 years of experience with mindfulness meditation display higher levels of attention and focus. People with this level of mindfulness training also exhibit greater interoception, which means an awareness of their physiological states or sensations, as well as an enhanced sensory perception overall. Mindfulness practitioners also have an improved present moment awareness and engage in less mind wandering and ruminating over the past. There is still much research to be done to determine if the functional changes in the brain during mindfulness practices and the structural changes that have been identified in the brains of those who practice mindfulness support these notable behavioral changes. I hope this doesn't make you feel like mindfulness practice is a long and daunting commitment. The benefits of mindfulness practices can be experienced far before 14 years of practice. But truth be told, it is an ongoing practice that takes repetition and dedication on a daily basis to see substantial and long-term benefits. Consistency really is key. And remember, we all start from the same place, the beginning. There are tons of communities and resources on the internet and in cities around the world dedicated to help you throughout your mindfulness journey. It's time for this week's Mindfulness Challenge. In line with the theme of emotion regulation, this week I encourage you to try a meditation that challenges you to take the role of the observer. Provided by Positive Psychology, this meditation looks at why it is worthwhile to detach from our internal thoughts and feelings. This is an important part of acceptance and commitment therapy as well, in which mindfulness plays a very large role. Through adopting an observer perspective towards the self, we can help us put some distance between who we are and problematic domains in life that we might be over-identifying with. To begin the exercise, follow these steps. Take a comfortable seated position and gently close your eyes. Take a few moments to let yourself settle into your body and your mind. Try to let go of thoughts and clear the mind of its usual considerations. Focus your attention first to the room you're sitting in. Picture yourself from the outside as you sit, exactly as an outsider might. Next, shift your attention inwards into your skin Try and feel your skin as you're sitting in the chair. Try to envision the shape that your skin is making as you sit in contact with the chair, shifting your awareness toward any physical sensations you are experiencing. As you feel each one, acknowledge its existence before letting your consciousness let go of it and move on naturally. If you find any emotions coming up, recognize them and create space for them. Then bring your attention back to your observing self. Your feelings and thoughts are there, but you are separate from them, noticing them. This is the observer you. 
This exercise can be continued for as long as desired, and there are many stages you can work through that will help you practice being an observer of yourself. It is not an easy exercise at first, because we are often habitually inclined to react and over-identify with your feelings. The goal of evoking the observing self is to enter a separate mode which allows you to step back from yourself and your experiences. Simultaneously, however, you are connecting with the deeper, constant self that is unaffected by dynamic emotions. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to our next episode where we will begin exploring the neuroscience of mindfulness meditation and its many benefits. See you all then.